This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Duval, welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag podcast. Today, we will be breaking down where the Jaguars are at through two weeks of the 2021 NFL season, kind of a little progress report after two weeks. And then we'll preview their week three matchup with the undefeated Cardinals 2-0, coming off a big win, a tight win against the Vikings. They barely escaped, but they did. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Jeremy, what's up, buddy? Hey, man, woke up this morning. Nice weather, right? We're in the 60s. We're in week oh, yeah. three of the NFL season. I mean, it's it's the greatest time of the year, hands down. So, you know, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Can't really complain too much uh, except for, you know, the rough start to, to the season for, uh, for our Jaguars. But uh, outside of that, man, everything's fantastic. Yeah, walking the dog when it's 68 degrees outside is just, just much better. Can't beat it. Yeah, you, you kind of enjoy that one, right? You know, you kind of enjoy getting Absolutely. a dog outside and walking around the block when it's not 95 degrees. Yeah. Of course, it warmed up this afternoon, but it's still nice compared to what we've been getting around here. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. It's not sweltering heat. Yeah, well, we've got some uh, Jaguars football to talk about here. They're 0-2. Uh, before we get into all that hot and heavy, we'll get some news and remind you to check out ginjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. So... We'll start with some news, get into the injury report, and then kind of get into our progress report. So Aaron Patrick, defensive end, was on the Jaguars practice squad. Big time standout during preseason and training camp. Uh, He is headed to Denver. They signed him to their active roster. They're dealing with some injuries after facing the Jaguars. Bradley Chubb, I think, has a bone spur. He's going to be out for at least six weeks, I think, something like that. So Aaron Patrick's headed over to Denver excited for him to go play with you know a really good defense and potentially get on the field um but obviously that impacts the jaguars negatively here they have a very deep defensive line rotation so i don't think it's like end of the world but Aaron patrick is a guy that was really good in the preseason yeah and he's a guy that's gotten a lot of attention from other media members as well i mean usually when you see guys signed off practice squads you might get a mention of it here and there on twitter you know it might pop up on the news feed but there were multiple guys in multiple markets and multiple media outlets talking about this guy and how you know the word around the league is that you know he's a a young promising player and you know that the broncos are very happy to be able to, to get him from the jaguar so those are good things you like to hear i mean i know it's kind of minimal in the grand scheme of things but you know usually you know, there are, there are teams, there are hot teams that, you know, as soon as a guy gets put on the practice squad or gets cut, you know, the teams are always trying to scrape them up. Usually that doesn't happen around here. So to hear positive things about a guy like that is good, but also leads me to wonder, you know, if, if that's 
the real feel around the league. You know, why wasn't he on the active roster? I know the the rotation's deep, but if you got a guy like that that a lot of people like, I mean, usually there's something there. So good for him. You know, hope it all works out for him in, in Denver. And like you said, with Bradley Chubb uh, hitting the shelf again, they're going to need some help on the outside. Yeah, and Patrick, the way he plays, I, I thought he was bigger than he is, but he's not even that big of a guy. He kind of came in as more of like the pass rush specialist, but he's stout against the run, plays above his weight class. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he gets any snaps out there in Denver over the next few weeks. James O'Shaughnessy, Jaguars tight end, top pass-catching tight end for the team, placed on IR with a ankle sprain. Um, he's going to be out for at least three weeks. Obviously not great, but that does open up the door for Jacob Hollister, who the team signed um, a few weeks back just prior to the start of the regular season. And I think Hollister is very much in the same vein uh, as James O'Shaughnessy in terms of their skill set, what they can do. O'Shaughnessy's obviously been around the team all offseason. Hollister has not. So there's a disadvantage there. But you never want to see O'Shaughnessy go down. At least you do have a guy who might be able to come in and kind of play the same role. Yeah, huge, huge blow for the Jaguars. I mean, obviously, not only their most tenured, but their most, you know, explosive and most capable tight end of, of making plays. And, you know, it's not like he's a burner, you know, he's not like he's like a star in the league, but you know, with you when you when you have this little depth in that room, you know, this this little playmaking ability in that room, it makes it that much more significant to lose a guy like that. So hopefully Jacob Hollister, you know, can, can get up uh, quickly, you know, in terms of, of the playbook and knowing the offense and, and maybe he could fill that void. But I mean, yeah, that's a huge blow for the Jaguars offense. P.S. Shame on both of us. Last time we got together here was just before the start of the regular season. I accidentally called Hollister um, Luke Wilson, the other, the other Seattle. Oh, did we uh, run I- with it? Yeah, did we? Neither of us said anything. Oh man, so. uh, but that's okay. That's <laughs> you live okay. and you learn, right? That's right. That's funny. Um, the Jaguars tried out Trey Burton today, according to Aaron Wilson. Um, so that's interesting. I, I'm always amazed that he's always like available. He's a quality pass catcher at tight end. He can do a lot of different things for you. We'll see if they ended up making a move there, but um, interesting to see Trey Burton come into town for a workout. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't hate it. Like you said, he he's always available somehow. But you know, every year he's that guy who who you know comes in late and makes some sort of impact on a team. He's been that way for years. I didn't even know that he wasn't on a roster now that you mentioned it. But I mean, that'd be that'd be a great guy to get in here. He moves a lot better, I think, than some of the tight ends we have on the roster. Obviously, he's getting a little bit older, but he's a dynamic guy. I mean, he really adds an extra focal point to the offense. Yeah, I think injuries have been an issue for him throughout his career, too. The Jaguars signed cornerback Nevin Lawson uh, on Wednesday. We're recording this on Thursday, September 23rd. It'll be out on Friday for you guys to listen to. But yeah, Nevin Lawson signed with the Jaguars. He missed the first two games due to suspension for the Raiders, and then they released him after that. Uh, You have any takes on this guy? For me, it's just another body in a room that is really lacking bodies. I mean, my only take is I know that he's a, a veteran, um, but I've never heard the name before, so that really shows me all that I need to know. So not really. I mean, like you said, just another body. Uh, I'm not literally looking for anything, not really expecting anything. He's been in the league for a few years now, and I've never heard his name. So it's not like it's a, you know an impact signing or anything like that. Yeah, no career interceptions. So 
And, he, uh, it has and been, of course, like seven or eight years, hasn't he? Yeah, interceptions obviously aren't everything, but well, no, but uh, you'd a, like to see I'll, one. <laughs> yeah, for a cornerback at least. But he's played a decent yeah, amount of snaps based on what I heard this morning when they were talking about it on the radio. But uh, like I said, never heard from. Him, but not even a single interception. You would think being in the in the secondary, you might just have one fall into your lap. I mean, even defensive tackles yeah. get one at times. Yeah, exactly. So I mean. I'm not sitting here trying to bash the guy. I just don't think – don't look at this signing and be like, oh, we got a new cornerback. He's going to be the savior for this cornerback room. That's not the case. Um, that brings us to our Thursday injury report for the Jaguars and Cardinals. Um, Laurenti McCray, he has a hamstring. He's on the injury report, but he's full. LaVisca Chenault had the shoulder people were a little worried about. He's full. AJ Can and Jordan Smith had both been limited on Wednesday. They were both full. So you like to see all that. Um, Trey Herndon limited. So looks like he's got a shot to play this weekend. The Jaguars could really use him. Roy Robertson Harris limited with an ankle. Um, he's been limited both days. So I don't think there's anything to worry about there at this point. Uh, Brandon Linder did not participate in practice Wednesday with a back injury. He was limited today, so you like to see that, obviously. Um, the fact that he's making progress there. J2 Fele, uh, he had an illness Wednesday, didn't participate in practice. He's back at practice today. CJ Henderson was limited Wednesday and did not participate Thursday. So that is that is very sketchy for for a cornerback room that is already struggling mightily and then marvin jones he's been getting some rest the last couple days but he should be good to go so uh when you're looking at this injury report i think it the pretty much the only real concern you're looking at is this cornerback room is trey herndon going to be able to go being limited and then cj henderson not participating today with the groin slash illness hopefully they can get him back on the field friday and uh and, and get ready to go for Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's very concerning. You know, you, we knew Herndon had the knee issue before the season started. Um, you know, so now we're down Herndon. Now we're down Henderson. And we got to bring in this guy, you know, from from Oakland after they cut him. We had a guy on the roster. His, his name was uh, was Sidney, I believe. Sidney Jones, right? Pretty decent guy. And, and they thought he was expendable and just got rid of him. Now he's staying on the sidelines in Seattle. So, I mean, that's just – now we're in this predicament. We're in this situation. And we've got to bring over – what was his name? Nevin Lawson. Yeah, you know, ne- Nevin Lawson off the re- like what? This just this just shows the person that we got nineteen defensive tackles and defensive linemen and and all that jazz. Great. Now we're now we're two corners down and we got to bring in Nevin Lawson, who's probably gonna have to strap it up on Sunday because outside of that, you've got what? You've got uh, Shaq, uh, you've got Tyson Campbell, uh, you've got Chris Claybrooks. Chris Claybrooks. I mean, and then that's pretty much about it. I mean. We're starting to get to the realization of, of of what's really going on here. Not that you know this is world ending, but you know just some boneheaded decisions you know that are coming to light now. Yeah, you, there was no re- no reason to trade Sidney Jones, um, and obviously you can go back to what they did in the draft with Tyson Campbell and criticize that. We don't need to do that right now. But the bottom line is they botched the depth in the corner room. That's pretty clear at this point, and it's been clear over the first two weeks of the season. Uh, We'll look at uh, some guys that did not participate in practice for the Cardinals today, just to give you guys an update. Uh, Kelvin Beecham, former Jaguar, 
He's a offensive tackle for the Cardinals. Did not participate. Ribs. DeAndre Hopkins. Now that is a big name right there. Wide receiver for the Cardinals. Obviously, everyone knows him from the Texans. Uh, he also has a rib injury. He has not participated in practice the last two days. That would be huge for the Jaguars if the Cardinals are missing DeAndre Hopkins. Um, Byron Murphy, who's a starting corner for the Cardinals, he did not participate in practice. So you've got some guys here that uh, might not be playing against the Jaguars on Sunday that are some big names and some important pieces to this Cardinals puzzle. Yeah. I mean, D hop would be, you know, a, a blessing in disguise if he didn't play on Sunday. But then again, you look over and you got Christian Kirk, you got Rondell Moore, you got AJ green, and then you sit back and you just go, Oh, that's right. Yeah. They got a multitude <laughs> of weapons. So even if D hop sits out, I mean, Kyler is just going to be flinging the ball over the place anyway. So I yeah, mean, it, like it matters, but, but it doesn't. And, got up. I mean, D hop is just always, just always just, just, brutally just putting bad taste in my mouth every time he comes to town you know it's great that he's gone but man just always back around so i mean they, they've got a plethora of weapons and if one guy's down i'm sure the next guy will step up i mean rondale moore has been a thorn in urban side since college so i'm interested to see how that's going to go this sunday yeah he's been one of the best receivers in football so far obviously they're using it in a variety of ways and we'll get into that a little bit later First, big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out of their downtown location on East Bay Street and at their Riverside Taproom on Roselle. They are the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. So we'll talk about the Cardinals game in a little bit. First, we want to kind of take a big picture view, look at what's going on with the Jaguars right now. I think people are starting to settle down a little bit, but it seems based on... uh, fan reactions and some reactions around the national media that the sky is falling in Jacksonville. What's your take on what's going on here? Well, uh, it's not an ideal start. I mean, that that's not a mystery. I think anybody can look at what's going on here and just say, you know, that's, that's not quite how I thought things were going to go and, and ourselves included, at least for me, I'll let you speak for yourself. But for me, at least I look at this and I say, this isn't quite how things were supposed to go. Am I surprised? No, because then I had to do some self-reflection. I probably realized that I would, you know, was was giving in to my fandom a little bit, like I do every year, and probably getting my hopes up a little too much for this team, given where they've been. But it's only been two weeks. The sky's not falling. We we've seen enough to have some sort of of you know hopes for light at the end of the tunnel. You've seen some good things. You've seen some really bad things. I think this is a team of a lot of young guys, uh, a lot of first-time coaches in the NFL who are trying to find their way now. You know, the media outside, they're going to look at this in in a much more, um, I guess, critical way. I mean, you have a team who has been kind of, you know, bottom of the barrel for the last 10 years now, you know, give or take one season. And they get Trevor Lawrence, who's supposed to be, you know, just this godsend quarterback that we haven't seen before. And. You know, everyone probably rolls their eyes off. Of course, he's going to Jacksonville. Jacksonville is just going to waste him. And after two weeks, you don't see, you know, really anything to be excited about if you don't pay attention to this team like we do. You know, the outside guys are just kind of getting a glimpse of everything. And, and I think that plays into it. That plays into the narrative that get Trevor out of Jacksonville, get Urban out. You know, he wants to leave. Everything's going poorly. But that's not necessarily the case. And you've got to, you know, be able to kind of shut that out a little bit, you know, live in your own little vacuum and, and kind of see things you know, through your own lens and see things by yourself. And I have seen some things that I like, but through two weeks, 
this team is nowhere near where I thought they would be. Uh, you're making, you know, really kind of rookie mistakes week one with, with the amount of penalties, the formation stuff, the play calling. And, you know, it just, it just shows, it just shows that, that this is a stage that they weren't necessarily ready for. Now it could go one way or the other, you know, that it could be that the wake up call, the slap in the mouth that they needed because they did play better against the Broncos. And, you know, you're going to expect them to lose a majority of their games. If they play like that, and I think they could play a little bit better and at least be competitive. You'll be okay with the losses. But when you see a flop, like you saw in week one, just beating yourself and just playing an all-around terrible game of football, that's obviously going to frustrate some people. We know we're not going to have the talent to beat every team in the NFL, but it is the NFL, and like Vic Vangio said today, anybody can beat anybody any given day. So if you execute properly and you don't shoot yourself in the foot and you don't turn the ball over and you don't put yourself behind the sticks, yeah, you might still lose. That team might be a lot better than you, but it's going to be competitive. It's going to be a good football game. It's going to look right. Once you start shooting yourself in the foot you know, and beating yourself – you can't really have an excuse for that. You can't really defend that. So definitely need to see a turnaround. Does that mean that they're going to become world beaters overnight? No, but you've got to clean up the things. You've got to be doing what you can to win and not what you can to lose, if that makes sense. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that it's a. It, there's been an overreaction, and I'll be honest. After week one, getting blown out by the Texans, who you know everyone's just looking at as the biggest dumpster fire in football, I was a little freaked out, too. I didn't like what I saw on the sideline from Urban Meyer that week. Uh, I didn't think the team was prepared. Um, Like you said, there was the procedural stuff, the formational stuff. Um, They just didn't look like they knew what they're doing or what they were doing on most fronts. Um, And you had all the penalties. It was just, there was so many things going wrong and then you look at the sideline and urban meyer isn't looking too hot over there but then you get into week two return home got the home fans behind you uh it was a tough one for them to watch for the fans to watch after the first drive of course when trevor lawrence led the team down the field kind of a masterful drive from a play calling perspective from an execution perspective all that stuff they were just on the money and then it kind of fell off the rails after that Uh, I dove deep into that one. I feel a lot better about the entire game, the entirety of the game, after re-watching it and really breaking down a lot of different aspects of it. Obviously, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't what you want to see if you're a team that's really going to compete for the playoffs. But let's be honest, that's not where the Jaguars are at right now. Um, I still feel pretty good about where they're at after that Broncos game. And if we want to rewind a little bit to week one, That Texans team, everyone, including ourselves, national media, Texans media, thought that was going to be the worst team in football. They might end up being the worst team in football because now you got Tyrod Taylor getting injured. But they they spanked the Jaguars, and then they were competing with the Browns in Week 2 until Tyrod Taylor got hurt. They were tied with them uh, for a good portion of that game, really competing in that one. So I don't think... I don't think looking at the Texans and being like, wow, they're the worst team in football and they beat the crap out of the Jags. I don't think that's the right way to look at it anymore. I think that was not the most talented team, certainly, but they were well coached. They were playing hard nosed, run the ball, tough defense. Uh, Lovey Smith is a great defensive coordinator. I'm not saying that was going to be a playoff team, but I think that was going to be a team that gives a lot of opponents a hard time. I get where you're coming from with that. I, I do, but. You know, you kind of look at it from this perspective, you know, as the old adage goes, when when it 
when you're talking about really anything. And they say, if you don't see that person, that means you are that person. And what I'm getting at is, you know, if you don't see the worst team, that means you are the worst team. I think that's what I saw week one was, yeah, we all kind of expected the Texas to be the worst team. I think rightfully so. There was a lot going on there. Um, you know, I don't think anybody really kind of blew it out of proportion. The situation is what it is or was what it was. Now, if the Texans somehow, you know, were to come out and go 13 and four and make the playoffs, it'd be a whole different conversation. But however, where they started at the beginning of the season doesn't change. That doesn't change the personnel, what they're missing, who they have, you know, that could really be put down to great coaching, you know, at, at the end of everything when it's all said and done. But it really just went to show me that this team does have so much further to go. The Jaguars have so much further to go than I initially expected. And that's what was the most concerning thing to me. The thing that took me back the most was, you know, that was that was the worst team of football on paper, which is all you have to go on week one because you haven't really seen anybody play a game yet. That was the worst team in the league. The Jaguars were road favorites. I mean, that just to come out and put out a flop like that, if you got beat close in a division matchup, I get it. That's going to happen. The Jaguars have done that to people throughout the years. But just to come out and play so poor and so flat and get beat the way that you did, that's what bothers me. Right, absolutely. It was a bothersome performance. Like I said, I was very concerned after that after that showing um, for the long term for everything. Uh, but I just don't think the Texans are as bad as everybody thought they were. And I think their performance against the Browns kind of illuminated that they're just not going to roll over this entire season. Now, no Tyrod Taylor, that could be a big problem. We'll see how it plays out for them. But um, getting back to the Jaguars, uh, let's taking a look at their offense through two weeks, the passing offense, it is struggling. And for a variety of reasons, um, most people around that I've been seeing, maybe not people that follow the team as closely as we do have been blaming Daryl Bevel for the offensive struggles. And I, I do think Bevel has his part in the offensive struggles. I don't think it's completely on him. Um, I've seen, you know, I went back and broke down every Trevor Lawrence uh, incompletion or interception from week two. It was a lot of a lot of different things. You had LaVisca Chenault dropping three passes. You had, on occasions, uh, about five times, I think, there was just no one open. About six times, I think, Trevor Lawrence went deep instead of taking a either a – there was a lot of high-low concepts where he either – chose the wrong guy deep or chose the wrong guy shallow. And then there just was a lack of checkdowns as well when there was guys wide open in the flat. And then you had him uh, forcing some balls that just didn't need to be forced down the field. And uh, a little bit of inaccuracy as well from Trevor Lawrence. We've seen that for the first co- through the first couple of weeks here. And he's just still trying to get his sea legs under him, trying to understand what's happening on the defensive side of the ball, how the offense is operating, what he can do, what he can get away with. He doesn't look like the same guy you saw at Clemson. I think you're going to slowly see it get more towards what you expected from him. 
uh, coming in. He's a rookie quarterback. He's just trying to get the hang of everything right now. And I think you still do see those next level plays where he's able to scramble and get a first down. He's able to just make an amazing pass deep down the field or uh, on the first third down of the game on the second drive, I believe it was. He nailed Visca uh, coming across the field to the left side towards the sideline hit Visca right in the hands. He wasn't able to come up with it because he got absolutely rocked by the Broncos secondary. But you see these throws. I am not discouraged by what I've seen from Trevor Lawrence, but I just think that the expectations were a little bit too high going into his first couple of games. He's going to get there, but he's not there yet. Yeah, nothing Trevor Lawrence has shown me concerns me, and I'll get to that in a few in just a minute here, but the play calling concerns me, and Bevel does concern me. There's not enough balance in the offense. And, you know, when you're not really giving the defense a reason to respect your run game, they're going to sit on their keys right away. They're going to drop into coverage right away. If they can get it done with the four guys up front, why would you bring more? And so that's just really been frustrating. After week one, you heard Urban say, hey, look, we got to run the ball more. That's not going to happen. And here we go, week two, and it did happen. Now, I get it. At some point in the second half, you know, you're down two scores. You've got to throw the ball. That I get. There has been some weird circumstances. And there has been. I mean, you're you're getting yourself into bad positioning with penalties and, and, you know, things like that. It's got to be consistent. You've got to have a rhythm to the offense. You've got to give this rookie quarterback some help. You've got to give your, you know, leading – rookie undrafted rookie free agent record holder and and all purpose yards for a season the ball give the man the damn ball i don't understand why there's this equal split between james robinson and carlos hyde carlos and there wasn't last week they're moving in the direction of james robinson clearly it was still there it should be 80 to 20 90%. It was 70 30 in week 2 yeah, so no, i mean it's, it's right there it's got to be like i said 80 20 90 10 like it's it's not it shouldn't even be close. I mean that's your guy, that's your workhorse, that's your young back. So that's frustrating, you know. And when he does run the ball, he does run the ball well. Now, I mean, the offensive line we got to stop holding. We've got to stop getting just just. Well, let's get back to Daryl Bevel for a minute. I think because I think it is a good discussion to talk about what's going on with the offense. When you talk about play calling, I agree the balance is not there and it needs to get there. And there was no reason to stop running the ball in the third quarter of this game. There really wasn't. Uh, and then they, they just didn't do it enough. Uh, they were only they weren't down by like a ridiculous amount of points there. You're down by seven points and you're down by 10 points. You can still run the ball in those situations. So I absolutely agree on that front. There's no excuse to just not run the ball more. You've got a rookie quarterback. James Robinson is running the ball well, averaging 4.5 yards a carry on the season. you got to give this man the ball more often. Um, and and your offensive line's opening up holes for him as well. So I agree on that front 100%. couple other things with Daryl Bevel. Um, all these sets where you've got Visca taking a step back for a screen or Visca shifting into the backfield. There's nothing nuanced about it. Every time he steps back for a screen or every time he shifts into the backfield, he's getting the ball. And the defense knows that. I know that. You know that. They've got to use him in those ways, but run different uh, plays out of those same looks, right? 
mm-hmm. make a screen pass to him and you know hit someone else on a uh, on an easy completion for Trevor Lawrence or you know fake the toss to him and actually hand it to James Robinson or ja- hand it hand it to James Robinson and then fake the toss to LaVisca. You've got to get more creative in the ways you're doing it. I like getting him the ball this way, but if every time he's doing something that's out of the ordinary, he's getting the ball, defenses know it and it's not working. Absolutely. Part of being a play caller is is you know getting the defense is scheming the defense out of position. Getting them out of their tracks, getting them off of, off of you know of, of their instinct, I guess you could say. And, and like you said, you know you want to do that little orbit motion toss play with Chenault. That's fine, but the defense needs to see that a few times before you just throw it out there. You know, like you said, you got to run that motion, run it to completion, maybe just run an inside zone play. Next time you run that motion, run it to you know half completion right where he's behind the quarterback, and you fix the toss. Like I said, hand to the running back. You start doing those things repeatedly. Get them on film first before you just throw it out there in a game because it's got to be a whole season long progression. You know, you got to set these things up in game, and then you've got to set plays like that up for later in the season. Now that it's on film, everyone knows that it's coming. You know, those are things that you want to bring out, you know, in certain situations and, and get the defense off of their tracks, off of, you know, their pursuit, off of their instinct. And that's not what he's doing. He's just pulling these out thinking, oh, hey, let's see if this works. It did. And I see that, you know, it, it doesn't match up, like you said, with anything that he's called previously. And it doesn't variate, especially with those screenplays and what you're trying to do with Visca from anything else that he runs. So that's on the offensive coordinator as well. That's all about play calling. And uh, something I was going to key on earlier also was, you know, the route combos, the route trees, every, I mean, I, I get there's obviously multiple reads in a play and that's fine. But I heard something the other day, I think it was on Monday night Manning with, with Brett Farther talking to him. And he was talking about how coaches used to get mad on it, mad at him for throwing different routes that weren't, you know, the, the designed receiver. And he said, well, if it's not in the, if, if it's in the play, why wouldn't you want me to throw it? You know, don't put it in the play if you don't want me to throw it. And I get that to a sense that if the route's there, if it's in the play, you know, there's a chance that the quarterback might throw that ball. And so if Trevor isn't reading it properly or whatever it may be, then you need to tone that down, get him some rhythm throws. You know, if he's not finding the short guy, cause he wants to stretch the field, bring the guys closer to him. You know, you have different route combos that can keep the guys within, you know, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and still get separation, still get open. Call some of that before you start stretching the defense, you know, uh, the defense, if they start stepping up to those short routes, then you can pull out something deep and, and, and get them moving all that goes into play calling, and I'm just not seeing that. See, I, I have to disagree with you a little bit. Uh, week one, yeah, I think it was pretty bad. Week two, like I mentioned, those high-low concepts, Trevor just wasn't reading it right. He was actually, like, he would literally just throw to the wrong one. Like, on one example, LaVisca was wide open. Uh, you know, NFL wide open, not actually like no one around him, but he had a couple feet on his defender, a couple yards on his defender. And uh, instead of throwing it to him, he threw it, you know, to the deep man, the high man instead of the low man. And then there was another example where he threw it to Visca on the low route when the, the high route was open. So again, this is just Trevor going through um, and learning what he's seeing Week by week, he's a really smart guy. He's going to get it. Um, I don't think that Daryl Bevel is calling the easiest plays for Trevor to go out and execute, but they're also not trying to baby him. They're trying to get him to be able to run this pro-style offense with some spread stuff from college mixed in. And I know that that isn't 
sexy right now, but I think ultimately it will help Trevor and it will help this team in the long run. I don't think Bevel is the most creative offensive play caller out there, but I also am. I think you can get on this slippery slope where you're just burying the guy. I think he is running some nice, uh, some nice route concepts with the high low stuff and getting guys wide open out of the backfield and the flat and things like that. And Trevor just hasn't been hitting it as, as much as he should be. Uh, so I don't, while I'm not praising Daryl Bevel, I'm also not throwing him under the bus. Right. And, and I get that, but at some point, you know, even though yes, Trevor is this very advanced prospect, you know, a, a guy that, you know, c- can look and walk the part. I get that. He still has his limitations, whether it be schematically, um, you know, I don't think he has any physical limitations, but as a coach, no. as a coordinator, you've got to see that. Now, when you're installing an offense, you do it in installments, right? Like you, you piece things together as you go. You don't just throw the whole thing, you know, at these guys at once. Now, in the NFL, it's a little bit different. I get that. You know, I think by training camp, they're probably getting in to the meat of their stuff. But, you know, you install route combos as you go, and, and they progressively go from short base stuff to long base stuff. And again, I understand the NFL, you probably have more of that ready to go week one than you would in like high school or college. But if the quarterback isn't reading it properly, dial it back. Like I said, if it's not sexy and it's not great, you're you're building and you're learning. That's okay. We all know what this is. But whatever you do, I want you to do it well. Don't go out there and just keep, you know, doing things that you're not doing well repeatedly until you do them well. Do certain things well, then move on to something else. Expand the playbook. Expand the play call. Do that really well, then move on to the next phase. And that's how you've kind of got, in my opinion at least, how you've got to ease along a rookie quarterback. Keep guys close. Keep the rhythm throws going. Now, Trevor, I think they see so much in him that they're not going to do that. And, I I mean, that's just a philosophy thing. I'm not disagreeing with it but in, in any means because he has so much promise. He has so much potential. I think they're just going to let him – Get back there and learn. Like you said, that that first interception that he threw, the guy was open, but the timing was off. Those windows closed yeah, okay. a lot quicker in the NFL. And he's got to learn that. Thing. And he's got to figure yeah. that out. Yeah, people have been talking about Luke Farrell's head wasn't turned around. That is absolutely not the case. He was ready for the ball. It was just late. Yeah, timing was off. And, and, and that it, when you're at Clemson and you're playing – Syracuse, and they just don't have the same athletes that you do. You might be able to get away with that. You might be able. Syracuse to... is the wrong example, baby. You got Andre Cisco back there. Whatever you want, you know what I'm getting at. <laughs> you know, it's 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 you can you might be able to zip that ball in past that you know a late defender breaking across the field, but not in the NFL. Absolutely, not in the yeah. NFL. And so that's that's something that I looked at when I looked at that play specifically and said, okay, it it, it, it the timing was off. And that's not something you want to see, but I know that he can see that and make that adjustment. That's just learning the speed of the game, getting the feel of the game, that I understand. That yeah, I'm like totally it's fine. not going to happen again. Right, right. And I think he's the guy, like he said, he's made of the right stuff. He's going to make the adjustments. He's going to make the changes. He's not going to make that throw again. He's going to understand that timing of that window now. He, he's got a feel for it. So I get that, and that's what you want to see. But again, I go back to this, some of the play calling stuff that I was talking about. Dial it back a little for him. Let him get in rhythm first. Let him really master you know, some of the stuff they have, and then let's expand our concepts and widen things out a little bit. I think that is a really good way to progress this quarterback or you're on the flip side where you just say, hey, I know what this guy is going to be. I have total faith in this guy. We're going to let him go through the bumps, go through it all, and hopefully he improves that way. But you never know what kind of mental effect that might have. I don't think Trevor's that kind of guy. I think he's you know really, really mentally tough and mentally strong. He's shown that, but you never know. 
Yeah, and let's be honest. I mean, Denver is not a not the second team you want to face as a pro when you talk about that defense. I mean, you got the pass rush, you got the interior guys, really strong linebackers, and then that secondary is one of the best in football as well. So, and Vic Fangio calling it and getting it all together. That's just that's a rough defense to go against. And uh, so, I think overall the stats were awful for Trevor, but I think he handled it fairly well, and he learned a lot from that game and. Um, I think it'll be good for him in the long run. So we mentioned the rushing offense. It's kind of thriving when they give it the opportunity to thrive. They're averaging 4.7 yards a carry as a team, uh, but they're just not running the ball enough. And we know that Daryl Bevel needs to get that going. Daryl Bevel knows he needs to get it going. And uh, I think they will. If they don't, obviously, we're going to have to keep talking about it. But the running offense, uh, James Robinson, Carlos Hyde, the offensive line, the scheme, the outside zone, the inside zone, those things are all working. You just want to see it keep working. And the more you do that, the more the defense has to respect the run. They're not respecting the run at all right now. And if they do start to respect the run, that's going to help Trevor as well. Um, And then we mentioned, or you mentioned, the penalties on the offensive line. They've got seven offensive line penalties in two weeks. That needs to improve. But outside of that, the pass pro's good. The run blocking's good. We're all good in the hood there. Yeah, I mean, I, the numbers are good, but overall, I don't think the performance has been all that great. Yes, they've only given up two it sacks. It has not been great, they but it has been good. It's been okay. I don't know if I'd give okay. them good yet. It's been okay because I still see some things that just that just don't look right that you can't do as an NFL lineman. I mean, some of these guys just are just getting completely beaten off the edge, getting pushed right back in, into Trevor's lap. And Trevor for everything, for all that it's worth is great at moving in the pocket. If yeah, he, he gets rid of the football before he, he does gets it, usually, that's for sure. And if he had either cement feet or didn't have a great internal clock, he probably takes more sacks. You know, we, we probably see a guy like Minshew, take more sacks. Bortles probably takes more sacks. We all know what would have happened to Blaine Gabbard. Hell, he would have probably dropped before the, the pressure even got there, but Trevor's a different kind of guy, so I think he he kind of bails them out a little bit, and I think that sometimes we can't really get hooked up on that. I mean, they PFF and all these grades and everything, they have all these numbers that say that they're up there you know, in the upper echelon of offensive line groups right now, but I mean, I don't see it. Hey, there's an well, eye the bottom line is they're not giving up the sacks and they are blocking for the run. So well, we're not scoring, not we're not moving the ball down the field. So I mean, really, that's, what? That's, okay, that's dude. The measure, okay, that's know? on. Okay, the offense is not scoring because Trevor's not ready yet, in my opinion, and because okay, then you have the penalty. You have Trevor missing a throw. You have Lavisca dropping three passes in a game. You have James Robinson dropping two passes in the game before that. There's all these little things that are adding up to the Jaguars not being able to consistently move the ball. I don't think the offensive lines play in between the whistles is one of those things. And I'm not sitting here trying to say, re-sign Cam Robinson, bring Jawan Taylor back, uh, bring AJ Can back. I'm just trying to say through two games, they have not been the problem on the offense outside of the penalties. Well, yeah, they're not, they're not the sole offense. And like, you know, I, I'm not saying they're the only reason why. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Visca dropping a ball that might have been on third down, that kills a drive. But so does a holding on first down. Now you back up to first and 20. I mean, so absolutely. The so penalties have been ridiculous. It goes hand in hand. And, and, you know, again, 
look at the rest of those teams that are on that list of, of the top units, you know, either in the trenches or, or, or whatnot. Those are winning teams. So, I mean, you can you can always take these this PFF numbers and and, and look at them and, and all these grades. Stuff it's like not that. just PFF numbers. It's the they're running the ball well when they run the ball and they're not giving up sacks. Yeah, I I, I mean, yeah, it, I just I just don't. Just I, 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 I don't see a cohesive. And the fact yeah. that they did that to me, or for me against Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, and that Broncos front, I think it was impressive. They weren't perfect, but I thought it was impressive. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them that. Giving giving up one sack to, to Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, okay. Uh, but I think, again, you know, we, we almost get to the point where I'm not saying that, that we're so used to it that we kind of just accept it, but, I mean, other teams completely shut them down. They don't get any pressure. Or, or you know, completely stand up to these guys and, and just manhandle. We haven't seen that. We kind of take the the little victories. Oh well, they're not getting beat every single play. Oh well, they're they're getting movement sometimes. We're running the ball decently when we do run the ball, but until we get to the point where you know it's it's every single play and only every now and then do they get beat. I think that's when we become a really good football team. And that goes across the board, even to the. Well, you're not going to get that with this group. I don't think. I just think that's the bottom. And that's but fine. I think they are playing fine. And, and that it's is what it is. if you're getting the best of what you got, and that's what the best is then you know obviously said personnel is more of an issue than we thought yeah Uh, i mean both of us were lobbying go get trent williams go get brandon scherf like we wanted we wanted more guys on this offensive line more talented guys so we're not sitting here saying that i just think they've been all right and i I think that's a good development um could be worse could be worse yeah no doubt before we get to the defense, I'd like to remind you to subscribe and review on the Apple Podcasts app. Uh, really helps us out and helps more Jaguars fans find the show. So looking at the defensive side of the ball, uh, I think the front is playing very well overall. They're stifling against the run for the most part. Um, the pass rush has been there in terms of the pressures. And then in week two, they also got the sacks going uh, with Josh Allen and uh, Dewan Smoot. And uh, Andrew Wingard even got in there as well. But I think I really like what I see from this defensive front. Josh Allen is playing like he should when he's healthy, and he is healthy right now, playing like he did when he was a rookie uh, in 2019. And you got a lot of support there on the edge with Dewan Smoot, Jihad Ward. Kalevon Chason's not playing great, obviously. Uh, but then on the interior, you've got Devon Hamilton, Roy Robertson, Harris, Malcolm Brown. All those guys are playing very well. And then Adam Gotts wasn't even active week one. He comes in and had a had a very impressive game as well in week two. So I like what I'm seeing up front. How about you? Yeah, the defense is much improved up front. Um, obviously, there's still a little bit left to be desired um, in the sense that they're stopping the run, they're stifling the run, which is which is great. You know, not something we saw last year. I think eventually teams do wear on them, wear them down a little bit. And I mean, it's not their fault. They're on the field so much. It's, it's tough, but you know, kind of going back into the Houston game. Yeah. It wasn't a very high average yards per carry for Houston, but they did rack up some yards. Same thing with the Broncos. It's they had mostly a, Tyrod Taylor and it, it's yeah, volume. I it's mean, right. if you're losing in games, they're going to run the ball and they're going to get yards. And that's part of it. And that'll bring me to a different point here in just a second. But again, Melvin Gordon had a couple nice runs. You know, they, they do seem to kind of have a couple leaks every now and then, which is expected, but it's much improved. So I, I can't really. Devontae Williams was that. really the one that was giving them trouble and more he, than. And that's going to be a more pretty. Than Gordon. That's going to be a pretty dangerous two backfield, in my opinion. I think Melvin Gordon's kind of found a little bit of a second win there. Uh, and, and I love Javante Williams. I just, I think he's a great, he runs hard. 
Um, but we're here to talk about the Jaguars, so I'll get back to it. The, the, the thing that concerns me the most is with such a high pressure rate and such a high winning rate, you don't have very many sacks. You don't have... You got them in week two, though. I think it's a work in progress. It, I really do. It is. And we're, if we keep improving, keep getting there, that's fine. But up to this point, what I've seen so far is the inability to finish. Letting guys get out of the pocket, break sacks, make plays off schedule. That's something that really has to be worked on. When you get your hands on the quarterback, he has to go down. Josh Allen, love it. He, he's he been great. He's finished. But, you know, obviously we saw Tyrod Taylor get out of the pocket a couple times, make some plays on the run, break a couple sacks in week one. Caleb on chase on. Yeah, and, and, and that's something, I mean, that that's huge. Because when you have these win rates and you have the pressure that you're generating – it doesn't mean anything if guys are just busting out of contain and, and making plays down the field. And and the secondary obviously can't hold up for that long. They have their own issues. So up front, when you get to the quarterback, you have got to bring him down. Yeah. And now the linebackers, mainly Miles Jack and Damian Wilson, they've been fine in run support. I've been a little underwhelmed with them. Uh, they're struggling a bit in coverage. Of course, Damian Wilson shouldn't be in coverage. He's not the guy you want in coverage, man-to-man coverage on anyone, really. Uh, I think Shaq Quarterman got some more reps last week uh, in there, and I I wouldn't mind seeing him continue to get more and more reps because I think he has more upside than Damian Wilson. Uh, But, you know, outside of Miles Jack, you just don't feel that excited about anything at the linebacker position. And Miles Jack hasn't been as good as you would expect so far. I think he will improve as the season moves forward. Yeah, and if I recall, we had a linebacker who was pretty decent in coverage. I think his name was Joe. I think we traded him too. So another blunder there. I mean, I get that you wanted Damian Wilson to be your thumper guy, but that's a personnel thing. Hey, it's it's first down. Tendencies are to run. Let's throw Damian Wilson in there. Oh, hey, this is an obvious passing situation. Let's get our coverage linebacker in there. Oh, my God. Who would have thought of that? Like Just stuff like that. You know, it just you put yourself in a bad position when you do that. Obviously, you know, Miles Jack is going to be able to, to really run and, and range with, with anybody for the most part, besides, you know, a few guys. He's not going to play up outside. But anything that's coming across the middle, into the flats, tight ends, running backs, even slot receivers sometimes, I feel comfortable with him, you know, being in coverage. But Damian Wilson and Shaq Corman aren't going to be able to do that. And when you go to a lot of three, four sets, teams are going to want to probably you know, do some play action or throw the ball on first down when you have these kind of guys uh, in the game, in the formation, in your personnel, and you don't really have anything to counter that. So they're just attacking the defense the ways that they should with with crossing routes, things underneath, and things over the top for the coverage guys to to not be able to to lock down on for five, six seconds sometimes. So I get that. Chuck Quarterman, I've loved what I've seen from him. I think he needs to get on the field more. I mean, it seems like he's always making tackles. But one thing I want to see from these guys we, we thought, you know, we had these thumpers. It's come down and make some of that contact closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, stop it with these, these you know, consistent three. Get there faster, players. yep. Right. Come downhill, fill the hole, fill the gaps, and make some plays at the line of scrimmage. I understand you're not going to get them all that way, but I don't think we've really had that many tackles for loss this year, especially from the linebackers. Yeah, they're just getting them. They're literally, like, just doing very well tackling them between two and four yards. Right, which, but, I mean. You, so you're not getting those you know, big run stuff like you're talking about. Right. I agree with that. You're not getting gashed, but yes, every now and then you got to come up and make a special play. You know, yeah. that, that that's how you get other teams behind the sticks and, and, you know, in tough situations and really shrink their playbook. As of right now, the biggest thing the defense hasn't done 
has they haven't been able to like I said shrink that playbook for for opposing coordinators. They've always been ahead of the sticks for the most part. They've been really open, been able to really kind of do and call anything. Obviously, outside of a few drives where a big sack and, and penalties have kind of brought, brought things back, but you need those negative plays. It doesn't have to be a loss of seven or eight every single time, but a loss of two, you know, put you at second and twelve and instead of second and seven. I mean, that's a that's a big difference. Yeah, it is. Now, the final piece to the Jaguars' defense, the secondary. It is a mess right now. Not a lot of guys winning one-on-ones. They're not playing fast and aggressive against these man-beaters, you know, the rub routes, the crossing routes. I think, overall, I've liked what I've seen from Shaq Griffin for the most part. I mean, he was just devastatingly close to landing those two interceptions in consecutive weeks. Both of them would have been really impressive plays. But I'm just going to let you go off and talk about the secondary for a minute because I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> uh, I got to be the bad guy now. It's okay. I'm, I'm, feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling it today, and I think I think you know it, so that's okay. Uh, Shaq Quarterman dropped two pick sixes. I mean, that just can't happen. It, Griffin. I, I, I'm sorry. What did I say? Quarterman Griffin. Yeah. yeah. Shaq Griffin dropped two pick sixes. I didn't see the it's first It's confusing one. having two Shaqs. On yeah, right? You don't really get that very often. The only Shaq I've known before that was Shaquille O'Neal, and he's obviously not in the NFL. But <laughs> I didn't see the, the week one because I was driving into my cousin's uh, to watch the game, so I missed that first drive. Um, but from what I heard and what I remember, it, w- it would have been a, a probably a pick six to the house. He would have housed it. So that's two in a row. I mean, those are just plays that you can't not make. You're the guy. We brought you in to be the guy. You make that play. You put your team up early. I mean, that just that that just changed the whole dynamic of the ball game. Now you're up fourteen nothing. You know, maybe maybe it changes a little bit of things for the Broncos. They get a little bit of urgent. They get a little bit antsy. You know. Those are things that you have to do. All of this we're talking about has to all come together for this team to win. And, you know, the coverage, they're getting beaten, man. They're getting beaten zone when they bring pressure. So, you know, uh, uh, Joe Cullen wants to bring the pressure, and that's great. But when you bring pressure and, and you can't, and you have guys getting beaten, man, and, and not, you know, it's sitting in the right zones and, and you've got crossing around, you've, you're getting beat just across the board in the secondary, it makes things really difficult. Um, and you know, it makes things difficult for the defensive line as well, because you need a little bit of time to get that pressure. You need, you know, two, three seconds of, of really great coverage to really get there. And I don't see that. It seems to be either they're getting beat right off the ball and quarterbacks are making great quick rhythm throws and, and just moving the chains consistently, or, you know, we get some pressure. These guys are able to escape the pocket, escape, contain, and then, you know, five seconds run by and they have guys just running free. I mean, Tyra Taylor was able to make multiple throws down the field that should have never been able to be made uh, in the NFL, just fading away, throwing the ball completely down the field to a guy that the balls were in the air for at least three seconds and guys were just finally catching up. So that means somewhere you're, you're losing contain, you get your eyes to the quarterback rather than the receiver. And that's when you get in bad position. So I've been really, really really furious with this secondary the first two weeks. It's not winning football. It's not going to be conducive to helping out your quarterback. Um, it's not going to be, you know, give your quarterback more possessions. Give more chances to score. Score more points than the other team. That's the name of the game. So the picks have to happen. Can't drop balls. If you've got a chance to take it to the house, you got to take it to the house. you got to capitalize on those mistakes. We talked about it before the season started. The Jaguars aren't the, you know, the most talented, most fundamentally gifted team. You know, they need to capitalize on some mistakes that other teams make and then not make those mistakes themselves. And through two weeks, it's been the exact opposite. It's not being able to capitalize on the mistakes and making your own mistakes, and that's a recipe for failure. Yeah, it is. And Joe Cullen, uh, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to come out here and completely change his scheme up. 
what I am seeing though, so like the Ravens, they've lost some of their starters uh, on the outside, and it's the same type of concepts, obviously. So they have guys that are not their starters that are coming in that know what they're doing. I just feel like the Jaguars secondary, the the cornerbacks, they just don't really know what they're doing yet. They have probably enough skill to execute it. It's about really being comfortable in what Joe Cullen is asking you to do. And I'm not seeing that yet. Um, you could ask Joe Cullen to make changes to this, but I just don't really think that's going to happen all that often. And I think it's just going to be kind of like with Trevor on the offensive side of the ball. These guys just got to learn trial by fire and they're going to make mistakes. Uh, you've got a lot of injuries in the secondary right now. You don't like to see it, but Unfortunately, that's just the way it is, and uh, they're going to have to fight through it. Overall, though, with this coaching staff and with this team, I think, you know, like I said, I was pretty worried about where they were headed after week one. During week two, uh, during the game, I think Urban Meyer's demeanor on the sideline was really good. Uh, During this week, I've really enjoyed uh, hearing what he has to say in the press conferences. I think he is moving in the right direction. It was a little bit of a shell shock for him early on how just how difficult it is and how how many things can go against you. And uh, I think he's now kind of locked in and settled in and ready to just kind of kind of beat the rock as he meant as he mentioned, kind of just beat the door down. Yeah, uh, like you said, Cohen's not going to really change his scheme. And and now that I've kind of you know went off and ranted a little bit, I take a deep breath and I take a second look at this, and this is what I see. Shaq Griffin, first year with the team, first year in a new system. Tyson Campbell, a rookie in the NFL, obviously in a new system. Chris Claybrooks didn't really play a lot of cornerback so far in his NFL career, even though obviously that's what he's listed at. He's been mostly a special teams guy. Trey Herndon hasn't seen the field, uh, so obviously you know he's not getting reps, and he might have some growing pains in a new system as well. So when you take all that into consideration – it it kind of you know brings things back to light a little bit. I guess it I can, makes sense <laughs> that they're struggling. It, it, well, yeah, it makes sense, but also you know why? Why haven't we gotten it yet? What are we missing? And that that falls back on either coaching or you don't have the right guys. And and I, I don't really know where I fall on that list or where I fall on that on that spectrum. Do I think it's coaching or do I think it's the right guys or is it a little, little bit of both? It concerns me that you've got Chris Claybrooks having to step up and play corner when he's never played corner in the NFL up to this point. It concerns me when you've I mean, got. He played a bit last year, but he. Okay. Well, I, I mean, he wasn't supposed to be in the game last year. That was another injury situation. But when he got to the NFL, he had barely played any corner at all. So your point is still valid. I mean, right. this is a guy with not a lot of experience at the cornerback position. And you got a rookie on one side, and, and you know, it, so there's a lot to it. The personnel is not very good, I don't think. I think you made some poor personnel decisions. And we're not picking up the scheme just yet. I don't. I don't necessarily need to say they have to change anything. Don't want him to change anything. Because um, I, I kind of like the looks that we do give. We just got to be better at what we do. Um, you know, figure out what they do well. Right now, it doesn't really look like they do much well, which is unfortunate. Do we play a better man? Do we play a better zone? We got to figure that out. Because I think the defensive front is improved enough to, to kind of be able to do whatever they need to do up front to assist the secondary, at least from what I've seen so far. So figure out what they do really well, get some continuity with these guys to really kind of see where you're going to go from here. But that's unfortunately not something that can happen in a week or two. It's, it's going to take a little bit of time. So it's a little bit concerning when the offense is having their own troubles. And yeah, it was a wake up call for urban. I mean, you know, just some of the comments that he's been making, 
you know, and, and just uh, own self-reflection kind of makes me realize exactly what the situation is when you're coming from Ohio state and you have the best of the best, you have the top of the line athletes and players, and you're outmatching every other team you play, you get away with some of this stuff. And, and, you know, in the NFL, it's just, it's just totally different. And I think, yes, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's, finally starting to set in i think he tried to convince himself or tried to prepare himself as much as he could but he's never been through it before and he's a very emotional guy so to finally see it i think is bringing him back to earth hopefully it will really make him see okay what adjustments need to be made where do we need to adjust them and and now it comes down to the x's and o's of things you know can he and his staff make the adjustments to put the personnel the players that they do have into positions to succeed and that's really going to be you know, the telltale sign for this, this staff top to bottom. Yep. Next opportunity, week three, Arizona Cardinals. What a test that's going to be. Make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. So, yeah, Jags hosting the Cardinals this Sunday at the bank, 1 p.m. Going to be hopefully – you know, not too hot out there, but I'm sure the sun's going to be shining down. Even when it's not hot out there, you can get a sunburn in Jacksonville. That's just the way it is. But yeah, the Cardinals are coming in 2-0. and uh, They really were on the brink of losing last week against the Vikings, and uh, they got bailed out by a missed field goal that should have been an easy make. Um, this is an amazing offense when you look at just the skill. Kyler Murray... Uh, off script, I don't think there's anybody better right now besides maybe Patrick Mahomes, maybe Lamar Jackson. But then you're looking at Kyler Murray right there with just being able to play backyard football, run around, do whatever the hell he wants, put the ball wherever the hell he wants. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, and that's very concerning for this defense given what we've seen the past you know, two weeks. And Kyler Murray, just like you said, just the off script plays that he is able to make just jaw dropping at times the throws that he's able to make not a big guy, you know, doesn't really necessarily have the biggest arm. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, of physical limitations, at least that the league imposed on him before he even came into the NFL, but the Cardinals didn't. And they took a chance and they're reaping the benefits. I mean, this guy can play, like you said, kind of backyard style. This isn't, you know, the NFL of old where you have to, you know, stay in this, you know, narrow minded, game things are different now we're putting our players in the best position to succeed and his best way to succeed is hey if, if it's not there let me get out and make a play let me make it be there let me get out you guys just keep moving and i'll get you the ball and that's what they're doing and that's what they're doing well so you know offensively they per, they, they present a very difficult uh, group of matchups I mean, I think from the backfield, they've got two running backs they like in Chase Edmonds and James Conner, bring two very different things to the table. They've got a tight end in Max Williams, who's who has been productive, uh, had a very good week last week, a career day, you know, probably going to build on that. And then you've got receivers, um, you know, some guys with some experience like A.J. Green, who have been in big moments, who have made big plays their entire career, who are obviously going to be, uh, you know, a good security blanket for Kyler. And then you've got some younger guys with freakish athletic ability. Christian Kurt is really starting to, you know, come into his own and become a really great receiver. And Rondale Moore, I mean, we've seen what he's done the first two weeks. Big, huge surprise. A guy the Jaguars could have had, I think, two or three times, actually, uh, if you want to go back and look at, at the pick history. But... I don't think it's a surprise because this is the landing spot for Rondale Moore, right? 
The best they one, just yeah. moved the ball all around. I mean, it was just the perfect place for him to go. But he's also he he's he's blown my expectations out of the water. I, I expected him to take some time to, you know, really get comfortable in the offense, find his his groove in the offense because they have so many guys that can catch the ball. D Hop, AJ Green, Christian Kirk. I mean, we just named him. That's three guys right there who you would think would be a little more comfortable with Kyler Murray to start, and it may take him some time, but no. I mean, they're getting him yeah. the ball, and that's what you do. When you have guys like that, you put the ball in their hands and watch them work. You put them in a position to succeed based on their skill set. I feel like we keep talking about this, and other teams are doing it, so why can't we? <laughs> well, the offensive line's playing pretty well for the Cardinals. Like you said, they got plenty of weapons all over the field. I'm not too concerned with their running game, but shit, who cares if you can stop the run against them? It doesn't really matter. Uh, if stop the run all you want, Kyler Murray is going to torture. It's just <laughs> kind of the way it is at this point. Um, defensively, they've got plenty of stars. Uh, you know, JJ Watt, Chandler Jones, these guys up front. That's awesome. You got Buda Baker on the back end. You've got Isaiah Simmons. They've got stars. They're going to run a lot of exotic looks. That's what they do with Vance Joseph, disguising coverages, uh, blitzing, changing things from snap to snap. Uh, you know, showing one thing pre-snap and showing something completely different after the snap. They'll play games with Watt and Jones up front. They'll move Buda Baker all over the field. They'll move Isaiah Simmons all over the field. Um, they're kind of a nightmare in that regard, but they're also fairly undisciplined right now. I mean, the Vikings ran all over them last week. Uh, they should have lost that game, like I mentioned, and largely due to their defensive deficiencies, in my opinion. Uh, they've got the stars. They've got a scheme that can confuse you, but I think it's a scheme that also maybe isn't quite uh, – it might be confusing its own players at times. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think – I think we faced more complex – uh, defenses thus far, uh, not not this year, obviously. But I mean, I think that what Lovey Smith obviously did was very basic. Back it up. We're just going to beat you. You know, there's no surprises here. Um, Denver, Vic Fangio, great defensive mind, does things a little bit differently, and I think that showed uh, last Sunday. And I think the Cardinals are somewhere in between. You know, they they can do some some things with the the talent that they have. Buda Baker, um, Isaiah Simmons. You obviously mentioned J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. I mean, just so many ways to move these guys around and put you in a good position. But like you said, the rest of the guys at times can be undisciplined. And you see, you know, the ability to make plays on this defense. You know, if you get in the right matchups and, you know, you get the right play calls and you get the defense out of position, you can make some plays here. Obviously, the Vikings are a little bit more advanced offensively. Uh, if you look at it, then we are. Dalvin Cook is just you know light years above anybody that we even remotely have in the backfield. Um, they've got great receivers as well, probably better than the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. But if definitely, but if the offense can take advantage of what they give you, then we can be right there with them. It's going to be up to the defense to be able to contain Kyler and make some stops to keep us in this game. But that's really it. You know, can the offense take advantage of some of the things that you mentioned? You know, the defense being out of position, um, you know, the defense confusing calls and, and, and responsibilities and, and that kind of stuff. When they do that, you've got to be able to execute attack and catch them off guard. Yeah. So I wrote, how do the Jags win? Keep Kyler contained. I don't think there's any chance in hell they're going to keep Kyler contained. So how do you contain him? Keep him off the field. Yeah. Run the ball with James Robinson. This is a defense, the Cardinals defense that is not 
good historically against the run. They're not playing good against the run right now. Uh, the Vikings were com- confusing the crap out of them and just taking advantage of their the, what they've got going on up front against the run. The Vikings consistently having a guy go jet motion across the uh, formation and then running outside zone. And it was just working and working and working because it gets the linebacker moving in one direction. And then you attack right where that linebacker was. And uh, it worked perfectly for the Vikings. I don't think the Jaguars are as good as the Vikings, like you said, when you got Dalvin Cook um, running the ball. But James Robinson, no scrub at all. Very good running back. You need to be trying to copy that. Obviously, the Cardinals, they're going to try to correct that this week and try to make sure that that doesn't show up again. But you still need to try to test that if you're Daryl Bevel. Uh, And you don't have to just do that, but you can try to take advantage of that early, see if they're they're still weak in that regard. And if not, then you just kind of shift where you're trying to run the ball, how you're trying to run the ball. But you've got to run the ball and keep Kyler Murray off the field if you want any chance of not getting blown out in this game. Right, yeah. Step one to containing Kyler Murray, keep him off the field. Step two is have a quarterback spy every single play. It's going to take one of your numbers away, but that's what it takes to keep this guy in the pocket. Make him throw from the pocket. He's five foot ten. His offensive linemen are like six foot six. The numbers just don't match up. He's not going to be able to see over these guys. Keep him in the pocket. Those are much more difficult throws for him to make. So He'll still probably beat you, but at least you've got a chance. At least you got a chance. I mean, you're doing the things that you can to hope that he doesn't. I mean, if he makes those throws like that consistently all day long, that's fine. But go look at Kyler Murray. He doesn't stay in the pocket like that all game long. I mean, he right. just doesn't. So that's how you beat him. You keep him where he's uncomfortable. And I think for him, unfortunately, at times, it's uncomfortable with pressure in his face. Um, you know, you, you bring the pressure up the middle. Uh, you bring the, the ends uh, in contain and, and you just keep them working the edge and you keep that spy right there behind the center um, being able to, you know, move to either either side of the of, of the offense. If Kyler wants to move his feet, you know, obviously with that with that edge contain and with the guys pitching in the middle, you're going to have two holes open up on the left side of the guard and the right side of the guard you know, right on the outside of the pocket. You got a guy like Miles Jack who can range back and forth and, and make that. As soon as Kyler wants to move and step up in that pocket, boom, he's, he's coming through that hole and he's really laying a boom there. Um, but, you know, for that to work, you've got to keep him in contain. You've got to keep him in the pocket and you've got to make sure that your guys can cover on the back end. I think that's really the only thing that they can do, uh, you know, physically besides keeping him off the field. And I think that's going to be hard to do if you're blitzing him because yeah. he's going to beat your blitzer every time for the most part. Well, it, it condenses your playbook. I mean, you might not be able to do that. You know, if you're not going to be able to get home every single time with the blitz, put the pressure in his face, he's going to get out of the pocket and make those throws. That's a sacrifice you're going to have to make. Do I sacrifice the extra blitzer to keep him in the pocket? Is he more effective outside of the pocket or in the pocket? How are we getting beat right now? What is he doing that's that's just you know putting our defense in a bad position? And I think that's how you have to go about it. If that means pulling a blitzer and, and only bringing three or four every single play, so be it. But keep that man where he's most uncomfortable and where he, he has to make the most difficult of throws, especially when they like to stretch the field. The Cardinals are a really short game or they're stretching the field. There's not really a lot of intermediate stuff to their playbook. Um, so, I mean, that just goes to show. Keep him in the pocket. Making those deep throws down the field for him are probably a little bit more un- uncomfortable when he's behind those big offensive guys and when they're being pushed back into his face. Yeah, now he has thrown a, three interceptions this year. He's uh, put a couple other balls in harm's way. So, again, like you said before, 
if he gives you the chance, you've got to capitalize. Otherwise, you've got no no shot. If he gives you the chance to go get that turnover. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, it's really about what we've already talked about. Trevor needs to continue to make progress, just being comfortable in this offense with his reads, with his legs, with the timing of it all. He's just got to keep progressing, and I think he will. Will it happen this week? I'm not sure. I think the Cardinals, they'll do some stuff to confuse him, but they'll also give him some opportunities to make big plays by having mistakes of their own that they make. Um, And then receivers got to catch the damn ball. Offensive line, get rid of the penalties. They've had seven penalties in two games. It's just too much. If you can get those three things going and run the ball like we talked about, then you have a shot to just look like at least a capable offense, which they haven't looked like so far this year. Yeah, rule number one in this game, and I know it's very cliche, and I know we say this a lot, just take what they give you, man. Just find it's the true open though. Guy. That's what Trevor has not been doing. Exactly, and that's what we have to get you know back to doing. I understand that you want to push the ball, and I think some of these concepts and some of these plays are designed for him to push the ball. I'm not in the quarterback room, so I don't know exactly how uh, Bevel's offense, how the reads are are broken down, and where he's supposed to go first with his eyes. We don't know that. We can only assume as much. We don't know, um, but you've got to take what the defense gives you, no matter what. I mean, if you've got a high low read. And you've got a guy coming out on a flat, coming in a drag, coming on a cross, coming on a slant, you know, something intermediate to short that's right there. Just take it. Take the four, five, six yards, and let's do it again. And just slowly, methodically move the ball down the field. You start doing that, you're going to force linebackers, DBs to step up. Then you yeah, can throw then up you behind them. Exactly. Then you throw up behind them. So take what the defense gives you. And I think that's going to be a really important thing is, A, you can't turn the ball over and give them short fields. Because this team is not built to win a shootout. And if you let the Cardinals offense start getting cooking, you're not going to get into a shootout that you can win. I mean, it just is what it is that, that this offense is not made. This team is not made to put up 40 points in a game. You're going to have to win this game 28, 20, 28, 17, you know, something tight, something that you can capitalize on their mistakes while not making your own, taking what they give you, uh, making sure you don't put them in plus territory to start any offensive drives. You need to keep them on their side of the field, make them drive it down your throat consistently. Um, and I think if you do these things, these extra little things that, that just seem so cliche and just seem so, well, duh, when you talk about it from a football standpoint that we haven't been doing, you put yourself in a much better position to win. Yeah, no doubt about it. If you're looking to gear up, get some Duval hats, T-shirts, all that good stuff, we've got a bunch of new Trevor Lawrence shirts, all sorts of stuff over at ginjag.com. Check it out. Um, All right, it's time to make our predictions for this week, score predictions. You want to get us going here? Yeah, I, I can do that. Uh, I, I don't think that the team is really going to do anything that we uh, or I just talked about. I just I don't think they're there yet. I don't think they're ready. I think I've still uh, seen too many things in last week's tape that just don't show me that they're ready to make that jump just yet. But I want to see them improve just a little bit more, a little bit more each week, and eventually we'll get to that that threshold that we can really reach over the top. But it's not this week, and I think, unfortunately, uh, for the Jaguars, it's another uh, kind of ugly performance. Uh, I got 38-17. to 17. Um, I just think that the Cardinals offense, you know, they're just going to do too much. They're just going to overpower this secondary. Those receivers are going to find a way to get open. You know, containing Kyler Murray sounds easy in theory, but can you really do it? I'm not sure. We'll have to see. So I think the Cardinals win pretty handily, but if we don't turn the ball over on offense— we don't shoot ourselves in the foot with penalties. 
and we just get beat by a better team, I'm okay with that. So that's what I'm looking for. You know, are we going to eliminate the turnovers, eliminate the penalties? You know, you're going to get beat sometimes. It just is what it is, especially with this team. Just don't do it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to be surprised. Whenever the Jaguars do win their first game, it could happen any week. I'm not predicting predicting it against the Cardinals. Uh, We haven't seen enough yet, and the Cardinals are obviously, I mean, just on offense. They're very, very difficult matchup, and on defense, they've got stars, and they've got a a scheme that can confuse the heck out of you. I'm not going to be surprised when Trevor does put it together, though. I just don't think it's this week. Uh, Cardinals 36, that's their average, I, I think. That's right in line with what they'll get against this defense. Jaguars 24. I have Josh Lambeau making his first field goal of the year. I We haven't talked about it, but I, I applaud the coaches for kind of sticking with him, showing their faith in him this week, and giving him another shot out there in week three. And I think he'll reward them with his first field goal of the season. I mean, that's that's kind of where we've we've kind of fallen down to. huh? I mean, I, I definitely hope that, he can come back and, and be the guy that he was. I don't like, you know, the way he came off the field and hung his head like that. I just, I feel bad for the guy. I do. It just he's been so special here, been such a consistent guy. I just I hope he finds it. And yeah, kudos on the def- on on the coaching staff. I don't want the defense. Kudos on the coaching staff for giving him another shot. He's earned it. You don't see that very often. But I mean, this is really it. This is make or break right here. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, we both got the Cardinals in this one, and we both have the Cardinals covering. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. We had seven and a half? Yeah, seven Seven and a half. half. I wouldn't be shocked if it's closer. Uh, You know, I didn't think the Vikings were really a world beater going into their matchup with the Cardinals last week. I thought the Cardinals would cover. And uh, one last thing. I do not believe in Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, you go back and look at his entire coaching resume. His teams fall apart. His first year, the Cardinals started out two and zero, and then they limped into the uh, limped it through the rest of the season. Last year, they got off to a super hot start. I can't remember their exact record, uh, like six and three or something like that. They finished eight and eight. Going back to Texas Tech, I mean, this is a coach I just don't believe in how he gets his guys ready. I think he has amassed great talent on this roster. And that showed through two weeks, but I don't think they're going to finish the season as hot as they've started. I think Kyler is going to be tough for everyone to deal with, but uh, I think teams will catch up to the Cardinals. I don't think the Jaguars are going to be that team. I just wanted to throw that out there. Not a Cliffs Kingsbury believer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see where you come from with that, but I, I like what he does schematically. And I like, you know, the personnel that he has. I think that what this is year I get a lot when he has Rondale Moore to play with. Yeah, and I mean I, that's that, that that's part of it. I mean I understand yeah. where you're coming from, but we haven't even. I would love if the Jaguars got off to a two and zero, six and three start, whatever fall off. Sure, you know. But if you if you're getting better every year and you take that next step, you know that that that's what it's all about. And if they take that next step this year and they don't have that fall off, it's obviously yeah. That's narrative. what it's looking like. Everyone's thinking is going to happen. You know, they're going to be that next team to you know break the playoff mold and get into the playoffs. I don't buy it. I'm not buying the Cardinals. And that's fine. I, I like what they do. I think it's a new wave of offense. And it's actually very funny that we get to this point because have you noticed recently, this kind of hit me in the face the other day that Urban Meyer is, is obviously drawing this big comparison to Jimmy Johnson and, and, you know, Oh, a college coach hasn't been able to really do it in the NFL sense and yada, yada, yada. And I get that. But 
there hasn't been any spotlight on the other college coaches in the NFL at all. They, they don't ever bring them up when they show uh, those graphics. And that just kind of caught me by surprise and kind of a realization I had the other day. Cliff Kingsbury doesn't come up in that conversation. Matt because Rule Urban Meyer, doesn't man. come in that conversation. It is, it is, but it's still, it was kind of, it was a little bit shocking to me that, 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 that conversation really wasn't relative when they came in. Um, no, you're right. And it's just because Meyer is so polarizing. Yeah. That's what it is. But, but they're in the same, you know, they're in the same boat right now. But again, those guys have had more success to date than Urban has in, in their NFL careers from where they were at, uh, where they started. Obviously, Kingsbury came into a very, um, I guess you could say, similar situation. The Cardinals had some weapons, but they were a pretty bare team uh, before he and Kyler got there. So, you know, hopefully we can get to that point. And the Panthers, um, you know, more weapons than the Jaguars have, obviously, with Christian McCaffrey and, and that slew of receivers and that defense that they have. So they needed a quarterback, yeah. obviously, but... You just hope that that success comes along the way as well for Urban. Yeah, definitely. I do believe in Matt Rule. I'll go ahead and say that uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for the show. Shout out to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor the Gin Jag podcast. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Bold City Brewery. All right, Duval, that'll do it. Enjoy your weekend. Go Jags. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.